John chapter 8, beginning in verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, Jesus says. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Um, And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Today's Palm Sunday. Jesus would have been walking down into Jerusalem, people would have been waving palm branches and crying out, Hosanna. But some of those same people, some of those same people that would have been waving their palm branches or laying them down onto the the path that Jesus walked down on that colt, that foal of a donkey. Some of those same people that were saying Hosanna shortly after this would have been yelling, crucify him. They would have been saying, Things like, give us Barabbas. And why is that? Why is it that some of those people that were crying out Hosanna would be those that would follow Christ for all eternity? And some of those that were crying out Hosanna would be those that would be saying, crucify him. Jesus takes people here and he separates them into two groups. In our passage before us this morning, he separates people into two different groups. One, those whose father is God. And the other group, those whose father is the devil. Makes two different groups. He's speaking to the religious leaders. And saying, your father is the devil. It may sound kind of harsh. Most cases, in most cases, unbelievers would say, "Well, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in in Jesus, but I, I would never say that my father is the devil." I mean, that's absurd. Being a little kid, my, my parents taught me that the devil was bad. He's bad. Um, they also taught me that certain things were bad. One of the things that my parents taught me was smoking is bad. Don't smoke. And so I, I, I don't know how old I was, but I know I was old enough to remember this, which is not a good sign. But if I saw someone smoking, I would go up to them and say, like, ooh, 
you smoke? You love the devil. And all I remember is my mom like, no, 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 no. And, you know, and the person would be like, no, no I just, I'm sorry, it's just a bad habit. I should do this. I, I, don't, I don't love the devil. I, and, and I know I used to say it all the time. My mom's like, I couldn't take you anywhere. Like if I saw someone smoking, I'd send you in the opposite direction because you were going to evangelize them in the most horrific way. And my theology is better now to where I know things are lawful. But being a kid, it was just, you, you love the devil. And yet Jesus here, as he's speaking, separates people into two groups. Those whose father is God and those whose father is the devil. Um, Jesus says in verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my father and you do that which you have seen with your father. There's two people and they have two different fathers. In verse 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil and the desires of your father. You want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. He's looking at these people and, And he's saying, you say that you're Abraham's descendants, and you are. You're Jews. You are of the bloodline of Abraham. But your father is the devil. They're looking at it saying, our father's Abraham. Or they're looking at it saying, "We, we have one father, that's God. And Jesus saying, no. Your father's the devil. The desires of your father you want to do. You want to kill me. I mean, these guys, over and over again, if, if they could have killed him, they would have done it in a second. If God's sovereign had, had not kept them from killing him, I mean, how many times do you see them pick up stones to throw at him? I mean, they're literally reaching down. They're picking up stones because all they're thinking is, I, I, I want to throw these at him. And in their minds, they're planning, how is it that we could kill him? How is it that we could put him to death? And so <coughs> Jesus is just calling it out as it is and saying, your father's the devil. You want to do the desires of your father, and that's who he is. He's a murderer from the beginning. From the very beginning of time, he has wanted to murder. He does not stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. It's so important that we understand that we, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And there is a devil. There is Satan. And he's real. And he is not about the truth. He has no desire for the truth. He is a murderer from the very beginning. And he wants to deceive. He wants to fool. He wants to come to a place of causing people to have hearts that are so hard and hate the things of God. We we see these mass killings take place today. We see people being decapitated. We see people being executed to where you look and you think, why are they doing something like this? And Jesus would look and say to them, because your father is the devil. 
He was a murderer from the very beginning. They do these things because they follow their father, who is a liar, and they do these things as they follow him. Back in verse 37, he says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Why is it that they want to kill him? Jesus says, because because my word has no place in you. We see this where Jesus speaks about this, where he talks about the way that God's word goes forward. Um, It goes forward, and for some people, it falls on, on just stony ground, and it is not received at all. It does not grow up. In John 12, 48, Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. They don't receive the word. The word goes forward. Jesus says, believe in me. Jesus says, to follow him. And yet, He says, my word has no place in you. Your heart does not receive it. It doesn't want to receive it. It doesn't want anything to do with me. But for the Christian, it's different. In James 1.21, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. When the implanted word comes into our hearts, And it's received, we're told his word is able to receive or to to, to save your souls. Psalm 119 and verse 11, the psalmist says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. For us as believers, God's word came in. We heard God's word, we heard the preaching of God's word, we heard it from reading through scripture. We heard it through someone sharing with us the gospel. And that implanted word, that word was implanted into our hearts and God caused our eyes to be open and to see his word. And it's received because that's what God has done in our hearts. Holy Spirit ministering to us. But he says to those whose father is the devil saying, you, you're in such a place that my word has no place in you. It is not received at all. I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Here's there's Abraham's descendants, and they seek to kill him. Jesus says about Abraham, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Your father Abraham looked forward to seeing the Messiah come. Your your father Abraham placed his hope in Christ before Christ even came. Because he was looking ahead to Christ to come. He rejoiced to see my day. And when he saw it, he was glad. But you don't follow your father Abraham. Because you would do the same thing. Verse 40 says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth which I heard from God. 
Abraham did not do this. Abraham didn't, didn't want to kill him. Abraham couldn't wait for the Messiah to come. Galatians 3.6 tells us that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It goes on and says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So God saying to Abraham, in you, all the nations are going to be blessed. And, and from you, from son that I'm going to give you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And Galatians tells us that was the gospel being preached to Abraham beforehand. Abraham, according to Romans 4, contrary to hope, verse 18, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed. Abraham received. Abraham loved the fact that Christ was to come. So these that are looking on saying, Abraham's our father, Jesus is saying, no, if he was your father, you would do the works of Abraham. You're not. In verse 41, he says, you do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication, for we have one father, God. We weren't born of those that are part, part Jew or, or part Gentile. We're not those that were born of fornication. We're not those that come from from Ishmael, we're not those. And Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. For the sake of time, I'm going to camp there for the rest of our service. You either have God is your father, or your father is the devil. There's those that could be in a congregation like this and think, well, yeah, no, I'm Abraham's descendants. I've, I belong to him. Um, I'm a Christian. I, I'm here, aren't I? I go to church. My family's Christian. They've always brought me to church. I went with my grandparents or I went with my parents. I went to Sunday school. I'm a Christian. But Jesus says something radical here. Because there was those that were saying we're Abraham's descendants. We're okay because of our position and the way that we are brought up in our family, our bloodline. But Jesus says if... If God were your father, you would love me. You would love me. To me, this is just an incredibly powerful passage for us this morning. If God is your father, you love Christ. 
You love him. There's those that say, well, no, I believe. But they have no regard for Christ. They don't love him. There's nothing in them that desires to worship him. There's nothing in them that desires to obey him. You live and you live for the things of the world and you feed your flesh and you do the stuff that the world does. But just by the example of your life, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And you look and your life is such that you don't obey his commandments. You have no desire to obey his commandments. You live for the stuff of the world. You come to church, but there's nothing in you that just says, I love him. I desire to praise him. I desire to live for him. I hate my sin. I want to run from my sin. I want to repent. I want, God, help me to get this out of my life. Help me to make a radical change and repent and go in the opposite direction. Help me to be holy as you are holy. I want to please you. Now, let me make it very clear. You are saved by faith and by faith alone. You're not saved because of your works. You're not saved because you love him. You're not saved because you've mustered up enough love for God. That is not what saves you. You're saved by faith in the work of Christ upon the cross to die for your sins, to rise again from the, on the third day, to place his righteousness upon you. Your hope and your faith is that God sent his son, his only begotten son, and in faith and believing in him, you won't perish but have everlasting life. That's what saves you. But if you are saved and you have faith, and the scales that were over your eyes have been open, and your heart that was hard has been made soft, if God has done that work in your heart and has made you a new creation in him, and the Holy Spirit has been planted into your heart, you love him. I assure you, you love him. I assure you that when you think of Christ, you love him. You love him. You think of him and you just think... I was living for the stuff of the world. I was covered in sin. The inclination of my heart was evil. There was no righteousness in me at all. I wasn't even seeking him. And he reached out and he grabbed me. And he did this work in my heart. And he saved me. And his Holy Spirit spoke to me and drew me unto himself. And I give him all the glory for my salvation. And he takes away my sin, every last one of them. And he he puts it on the cross. He nailed it to himself on the cross. And he gives me his righteousness. And he... He takes me and gives me his Holy Spirit as a seal to to keep me to the very end. And he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And it's not based on my works. And it's not based on how good I live. It's not based on anything that I could ever accomplish. It's not based on whether I go to church or whether I have enough good deeds. It's solely based on the work of Christ upon the cross. And and I'm safe and I'm, I'm good for all eternity. And he works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And he's changing me and he's molding me and he's conforming me into his image. And he's doing this work in my life. And it's all him, and I get to spend eternity with him. He's adopted me into his family. He's made me his bride, and I get to spend eternity where there's joy forevermore, fullness of joy. And I get that, and it's all of grace. I mean, if you believe that, you love him. You love him. It's impossible for you to say, like, yeah, I know, he died on the cross for me, and he saved me of all my sins. I really don't care. No really desire to please him. I mean, you, you can have intellectual knowledge of like, yes, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But if it is true and living faith and you are saved and you are a new creation in Christ, you love him. And so Jesus says here, if God were your father, you would love me. 
you would love me. I, I pray that that would be a great encouragement to you all this morning who are lovers of Christ. You who, when we worship, you just you worship him. You desire to please him. To be able to be in a place of, he's my father. I've been adopted into his family. I love him. The fruit in my life to reflect regeneration has taken place is I love him. Now granted, you're going to grow in your love for him. Scripture makes that clear. I think of the woman that is in Luke chapter 7 where she comes to Jesus with this fragrant oil and She's at his feet and she's weeping and she begins to wash his feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair and kisses her feet and then anoints them with oil. And there's those that said if he were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is who's touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus says, I have something to say to you. There's a creditor. And he's got two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of you will love him more? And they respond by saying, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to them, you have rightly judged Jesus goes on later and says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. But the one that's been forgiven, you're going to love. I mean, they both loved, didn't they? One loved more, and one loved less. You may be in a place where your testimony is such that And you've done some incredibly wicked things that you would never want anybody here to know about. But God's forgiven you of those things. You may look and say, why would God ever let that happen in my life? Like, why didn't he save me when I was a teenager? Or why didn't he save me when I was a toddler? He would have saved me from all of that sin. And yet to think that God saved you knew all that you would ever be as far as the sin that you were capable of, and then he saved you. I pray that looking back at what God has done in your life and what he saved you from will cause you to love him much. But for you who think, I've lived a pretty good life. I mean, I'm, I'm not like, I've never done anything horrible, or I got saved at 12, or I, you know, been pretty good. I mean, it's not like some crazy testimony. You ask someone to share their testimony, like, well, mine's not really that crazy. I got saved when I was like 11. Our theology here and our study of God's word tells you, no, you are a wicked sinner <laughs> whose heart was hard and your eyes were blind and you had no desire for the things of God. Even though you maybe don't have heinous sin in your life, you still have enough sin to make it so that you'd be separated from Christ for all eternity. And Christ died on the cross suffering so that you would not have to suffer for the rest of eternity. 
We preach and teach that man is sinful to the core because we don't want anybody here to love little. And because God says it in his word. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. I pray that the state of our depravity would be so clearly proclaimed as we study God's word that we would be filled with a congregation who loves much, who loves much. But this loving of him will grow. The more that we study God's word, the more you will love him. The more that we preach Christ and him crucified and who he is and who we were and what he has saved us for and what our eternity looks like and the way that he works in our life and the way that he equips us, all of these things, it, it will make you fall more in love with him every single day. I pray that that would take place. You all, if you're believers, you love him. But when you're feasting on the stuff of the world, your love for him will be quenched. If you're in a place right now and just saying, I'm just dry, I'm dry, I just, I mean, I used to love him so much, but I'm just dry right now. I pray that the Holy Spirit would so work in your heart to show you what you have been saved from and show you that you have been satisfying your appetite with junk, the junk of this world, that it has made you not treasure him nearly as much as he is worthy of. That you would flee the sin and run to him and see a father who runs to you and embraces you and puts the the robe on you and puts the shoes on your feet and puts the ring on your finger and kills the fatted calf and says, my son who's lost is now found. That it would make you love him. That God would do that in your heart that you would fall more deeply in love with him. I tell you, it is insanity to think that we could be believers who have been saved from eternity in hell, blackest darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal fire, separated from the glories of God. He has saved us from that and given us fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, adopted into his family, belonging to him, seeing him in glory. It's insanity to think that those that have been saved would not love him much. If your love at this point has been little, repent and love him much. But may each one of us be in a place when we think of him. What goes through our minds is, he is my father because I love him. I love him. Let's express that love now as we worship. Lord, we come to you now in the worship and song. And I pray that what comes forth out of our hearts would just be adoration and love towards you. Lord, you know that one person in here or maybe multiple people in here who sat here saying, I don't love him. Maybe, may today be the day of salvation for them where they repent and they follow you 
as their Lord and as their Savior. And may today be the day that they find themselves in love with you. For us who have maybe been feasting on the stuff of the world, maybe self-righteous to where we haven't even thought of the depths of what he has saved us from. May our love grow this morning. And may you find yourself in this sanctuary exalted. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.